We're glad that you were worshiping with us today on this Mother's Day. That's why I got a tie on and a flower and the whole deal. So uh, we're glad that, that you're here with us today. Now, um, just a little bit a while ago in, in our main service, we had uh, um, all the ladies stand, all the moms stand, and we honored them. But I'm going to ask a specific group of moms to stand this morning. Any mother who's had six or more children, if you would stand this morning, six or more Look at that. <laughs> remain, remain standing. We have a gift for you. And uh, we stand in awe, quite frankly, of, of what you have done. And, and I want you to know something as, as a church. Uh, we live in a culture today that actually mocks, ridicules, makes fun of women. You can sit down once you've got your little gift. But... Uh, of women of, of large families. And I want you to know, um, I think that's a terrible thing. At this church, we honor women who have large families. The larger of the better, as far as I am concerned. Uh, we want to affect our world. I'm convinced one of the greatest ways people of faith can change our nation is simply to outbreed the heathens. So ignore all those idiots who criticize you and say, you're taking out too much of a what is, footprint. What is that footprint that they call? What is it? Carbon. Car- I'll carbon them. Too big of a carbon footprint. Oh, shut up. And uh, uh, just, uh, we celebrate this. I'll tell you what. The single greatest thing that most women will ever do in life is have children and pass their faith on to their children. It is life changing people will not remember how much money you made they will not remember what other wonderful things you've done but with those children they will always remember you it is life-changing stuff and all over the world you know as we talk about supporting missions and stuff you'll hear how often we refer to orphanages why is that because it's almost impossible in some parts of the of the world to get adults to embrace christianity at all our hope is always with the children and we are as as churches have adjusted to that and so many churches now support orphanages and pour their money into orphanages why we are creating pockets of christianity in areas of the world where there isn't any and we know the key to that is through the children and uh, it's a fabulous thing it's extremely effective those children you have valuable precious and we honor you today for all that that you've done for us uh, uh, before i continue this morning um, we have a little special mother's day video clip we want to play for you and now a mother's day moment you know mother's day is that special day every year where we celebrate the women who brought us uh, into the world honey it actually I, took 12 hours with you well that's right that's right my mom was in labor for 12 hours thank you mom for reminding me this is the day that we appreciate all of the hard work and child-rearing years that our mothers... Honey, sit up and enunciate your sentences. And apparently, I need to sit up and enunciate my sentences. Thank you, Mother. A famous person once said, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my mother. Now, for me... Now, who said that? I don't know who said it, Mom. Oh, I think it's hmm? JFK. I don't know. Maybe it was JFK. I don't know. I know I need to do this, though, right now. So. Don't you sass me. I'm not sassing you. Since moms are there from the beginning, it's really no coincidence that mama is typically a child's first word. I'm not sure that shirt's word. working. I like this shirt. Not dressy enough. It's pretty dressy. Well, put on what I bought you. I don't want to wear that. I gave it to you. I know you gave it to me. I don't want to wear it. 
You know, a mother's love is something that every child wants. I know I did, and I still do. That's Douglas. Well, answer it, pumpkin. I'm filming. Hello? Uh -huh. Tell him hello. Oh, Mom says hi. Great. Don't care. Bye. Well, it seems that my mom's favorite son is going to be joining us for lunch. Now, honey. What? Don't be rude. That's not rude. That's nice. If you can't say anything what? nice, don't say anything at all. Hmm. Then I guess I won't say anything at all. <laughs> Great. Douglas is here. Douglas? Daryl. Hey, is this from Mom? Hey. Can't you just go in the other room for five minutes? Mother's Day means Honey, a lot of... we do not live in a barn. What are you talking about? Who said anything about living in a barn? Oh. But <laughs> my favorite memory growing up would have to be when, when you I... you went to bed in 10th grade? Hold on. Oh, this is over, Holy pal. Stop it. No, this right is my now. gift Boys, to mom, listen, man. Stop. So I hope that all you mothers out there have a happy Mother's Day. <laughs> love you, Mom. I love you, too. That's right. Happy Mother's Day. Reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark the fifth chapter. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, a man named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, uh, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. The Bible says, but they laughed at him. And it wasn't a funny ha-ha laugh. It was a derisive, mocking laughter. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha ka'um, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. This morning, on our Mother's Day, I want to uh, bring a message I've entitled, Conflict of the Ages. Now, this is not a message about the struggle between good and evil. This is about the age-old conflict, the battle of the sexes that has been going on since Adam first met Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we know that didn't start out all that particularly well. Eve was, Adam and Eve were told by God, do not have anything to do with this tree, do not eat of its fruit, 
The only command they were given, they couldn't do. Everything else was free game. But uh, Eve started listening to the serpent. Serpent comes along, starts telling her, starts reasoning with her, talking her through it. She takes of the fruit. Adam was a sap. He just took it because his wife gave it to him. Then God comes along and says, yo, what are you doing? I told you, don't eat of the fruit. Why did you do that? And the woman immediately said, well, the serpent said it. Why would he say it if it wasn't true? And ever since then, women have believed things that are said that are not true. (laughs) Particularly by serpents. The two-legged kind. (laughs) Men. Who come along and tell women things and they fall for it hook, line, and sinker. My dear, wonderful, single, unmarried women. For the love of heaven. Get a clue. (laughs) Don't just buy into what somebody tells you. Well, why would he say it if he didn't believe it? I can think of all kinds of reasons why he would say that. (laughs) But this is a family program this morning and we won't get there. Look at how a man lives, not by what he says. Look what he does, who cares what he says. Look at how he treats his mother. The women in his life. Does he keep his promises to those he's committed to in the past? That's what you look at. Don't just listen to what he says. God comes to Adam and says, why did you do it? He goes, well, it was that woman you gave me. That's exactly what he says. In essence, he was blaming God. Well, God, if you hadn't given her to me, I'd be just fine right now. They both got in trouble, and ever since that day, we were off to a very rough start. Now, the battle of the sexes has been going on for a very long time. It's a familiar battle. Men and women have been kind of going at it ever since boys first discovered that girls have cooties. (laughs) And girls have been incredibly blown away by how unbelievably gross boys can be. Now, while I celebrate this epic struggle, and I do, uh, I think it's fine that we struggle and we do our thing. My concern is when the fight between men and women, the fighting gets dirty. Now, in my book, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, I I write about the importance of fighting. Sounds a little unusual. Most marriage books try to tell you not to fight and, well, you shouldn't have any conflict. And honestly, if you think you're going to get married and never have any conflict, You are smoking something illegal. (laughs) Ain't gonna happen. Of course there's gonna be conflict. And it's fine. It's okay to have conflict. Don't freak out every time there's conflict. People say, well, pastor, when did you you and your wife overcome your differences? (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. We haven't overcome jack squat. If she would think like me, things would be great all the time. Successful marriage is not the absence of conflict. That's called widow. (laughs) That's what we call you when there's no more conflict in your marriage. One is dead. All right? 
So it's fine. It's perfectly normal. And, and I show couples in my book about how to fight, but how to fight fair. You got a whole chapter on fighting fair. Don't be so mean and so stinking dirty when you're fighting with each other and just being so nasty. But that's kind of the thing about fighting and conflict. If you're going to wage a war against somebody, you find their weaknesses and you exploit those weaknesses. You certainly do it in war. You don't attack the enemy where they're at the strongest. You look for the weak points in the line, the supply chains, whatever it is, and that's where you attack them. Even in sports, you compete better by learning what the weaknesses are of your opponent. Uh, Some years ago, I used to... It's been a few years now... (laughs) Sad to say. I used to be a pretty athletic guy. I used to be quite the racquetball player. Pretty good at it. Didn't didn't lose very often. And uh, I took joy in crushing my opponents. And one of the things that I would do is, uh, you know, especially with a new player, is we'd get, and and I'd say, you know, let's let's warm up a little bit. And uh, what I'm doing while we're warming up, I'm trying to get a feel for the guy. And seeing where he's struggling. Or is he messing up? Is he has a hard time with his backhand? I keep that in mind. If he's the kind of guy he can't, if I, he's way in the back and the ball drops short, he can't get up there fast enough, I keep that in line, in mind. And at the same time, while we're practicing and warming up, I would feign fake weaknesses myself in case he was doing the same thing. And uh, I would fake areas where I was very strong but made it look like I was weak. And of course, then the battle would begin and when it's time to start scoring points and, and to start... Uh, taking uh, control of the game I would suddenly start feeding him the ball actually I keep it away from his weaknesses until it's time to strike and kill and then I start feeding the ball right where he had the hardest time and it would just freak the willies out of him you know all of a sudden I, I could man if you had a hard point hard time in this part of the court with your backhand I could place it there every time and I would do it and I would just crush him and then he would start retaliating and start dropping the ball in areas where he thought I was short and I'd come and I'd just kill him. Because, you know, that's the way that you win, right? Be strong, find the weaknesses. Great in sports, great in war. But not so great between men and women. And in point of fact this morning, my message is about don't fight dirty. And don't exploit the weaknesses that you have in each other. Because all you do is leave death and destruction. You know, if you want to win the game and crush your opponent, kill the enemy, well, yeah. But that's not how you live in a relationship. Because the idea is not to leave anybody dead. Are you hearing me? That kind of fighting is only to crush and destroy. So you've got to think differently. Now, men and women tend to identify and exploit the weaknesses in each other. And this morning I want to talk about two of the major weaknesses that we have. Uh, In very general terms, a man's greatest weakness is feeling unsafe in our strength in our competency, in our abilities. And a woman's greatest weakness is feeling unsafe in her value and in her beauty. And we become the cruelest, meanest, and most hurtful when attacking each other in these areas. And these are not new things that I'm talking about this morning, but I want us to point and and, and reflect on this again. One of the main areas that men struggle with in life is this idea of not being sure of themselves and in their strengths. Um, surveys have shown that up to 70-75% of men when asked will admit that they don't feel secure in their abilities they have this nagging voice in their head that's always telling them 
you don't know what you're doing, man. They're going to figure you out. You're a fraud. You're a phony. I can't believe they're paying you to do this. You know, what they really feel, you know, and, and men who struggle with this find themselves limited in life. The men who seem to success the most in life are the ones who are able to quiet that voice and begin to succeed. Those who struggle in life, uh, that voice stays so large and loud to them, they stay so insecure, they can't really accomplish anything and do anything with their lives. Now, one of the places where a man should come into his life where that voice is silenced is in his home and with the woman that he loves. Sadly, millions of women, instead of helping to silence that voice by believing in her husband before he succeeds, respecting him before he earns the respect, they criticize instead. And they'll say things like, you know, you're an idiot. You think you're so smart. You don't know what you're doing. You're just a loser. The very things, the meanest possible thing they can do that sticks a heart, a, a knife in the heart of a man and starts to destroy his confidence. Oddly, the greatest loser in the end is the woman who does this. You need to believe in your husband, even when he's unbelievable. You need to respect, I respect him when he starts earning it. No, 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 no. The key to unlocking the potential in a man is to treat him with great respect before he earns it. That's how he gets there. And you've heard me teach on this in the past. But this morning I want to focus a little bit on the women's side of things because it's Mother's Day. Let's talk about that. The, one of the greatest weaknesses women struggle with is the sense of value, of self-esteem, of feeling that she is precious and beautiful. You see it in women, even as little girls. Little girls, man, as soon as they start growing up, they love to dress up. And they love to get all prettied up and play dress up. And I remember when my daughter was a little girl, she used to put on these, she'd call them twirly dresses. You know, so when she twirled around, it'd swing out. She'd look, daddy, it's a twirly dress. And she'd ask Debbie, you know, mommy, I want to wear a twirly dress today. You know, and she just loved these dresses. And of course, she would love to play and dress up in her twirly dresses and put on makeup and hats and, and brain balancers. That's, that's what those are. They balance their brains. They're very, very important. And, uh, but little girls are always asking this question. Daddy, am I pretty? Mommy, am I pretty? Do you know why little girls are always asking that question? Because they know in their heart of hearts that someday they will have to answer that question for themselves. Sadly, millions of women get to that age and they look in that mirror and they ask themselves, am I pretty? Am I special? And sadly, either because of an overly critical mother or an absent father or some mean, cruel thing some boy said or did to her. They look in that mirror and they say, no, no, I'm not. And the day they do that, that little girl inside of them dies and that sparkle goes out of their eyes, that confidence, that love of life becomes extinguished. Which brings us to our scripture that we read this morning about Jairus. His daughter's dying, he's in a panic, he comes to Jesus, he hears that he can heal. 
And he begs him, would you please come to my house and pray for my little girl? And Jesus said, yes. And as they start to approach the house, the men come out and say, Jairus, it's too late. It's too late. She's, she's dead. And I love Jesus' response. He says to them, he says to him, he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. You know, it's amazing how often when you try to encourage people in their lives, they will start to reason with you why it can't be done. It's too late. They'll say, well, if I would have gone to college, I could have done it. Or if, you know, I wasn't so sick or if the disease wasn't so progressed, you know, but it's too late now. Everything's always too late. Our marriage, our relationship, it's over. It's too late. It's dead. It's too late. It's too late. That's always the refrain you hear from people who don't have faith. It's too late. But I want you to know something this morning. It's never too late with God. And our Wednesday night Bible study, we, uh, and, and you ought to come out to that. It is a fabulous time of, of studying the Bible together. Uh, every Wednesday night, and we, we go through the Bible verse by verse. We're studying the book of Acts right now. A-C-T-S, Acts, Acts of the Apostles. And uh, reading about it, these incredible things these guys did, the, the early century Christians. And last Wednesday, we read this incredible story of a lady named uh, Tabitha, uh, who was in the early, early Christians. She was an older woman, and she got sick, and she died. And... And uh, they were preparing for her funeral and everybody was sad and crying. And then they heard that Peter was nearby. And these people got excited and hopeful and said, go get Peter and let's pray for her. Now think that through. I'm a pretty positive guy. I'm pretty up and full of faith. If you're sick, I will pray for you to be healed. If you're in the hospital struggling, I'll show up and pray and trust God with you. But when you're dead, I pretty much move on. (laughs) Are you hearing me? Yeah, I'm just being honest with you. You know, you're dead, you need to find somebody else because I pretty much check out at that point. You know, I'm thinking funeral and let's comfort the family. But in the midst of death, man, how do you get to that place? These people looking at death here, Peter's nearby. Oh, cool. Let's go get Peter. It's never too late. Oh, man. Where do we get that kind of thinking in our heads today? We need that. And in the midst of absolute hopelessness, they go get Peter. Peter, you got to come pray for this lady. Really, how's she doing? Not too well. <laughs> she having a hard time breathing? Yes. <laughs> yes. Been a while since she's breathed in, but come on! Peter comes and prays for the lady, and she raises from the dead, comes to life, just like Jesus did for this little girl. Wow! So, in the midst of there being no hope, the guy saying it's too late, leave the, leave Jesus alone. She's dead, and how those words must have crushed that father. Jesus said, "Don't be afraid, just believe." And he walks into the house and everybody's wailing and crying. It's so sad. It's so sad. Nobody cares about her. Nobody loved her. Nobody appreciated her. She's dead. Jesus said, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And they mocked him. You know what you're talking about. How can you say that? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the experience I've had. It's all too late. Jesus took them all and got them out of the room. The Bible says he got down, took that little girl by the hand and said to her, lifeless body, little girl, 
And the Bible says life entered that little 12-year-old and she stood up and started walking around and everybody went, whoa, wow, look at that. What I want to say to you this morning, ladies, I don't know what you've been through, but I don't care what anyone's ever done to you, ever said to you, or how they've ever treated you. I want you to know something. You are beautiful, you are valuable, you are precious. And that little girl inside of you is not dead. She's sleeping. And you need to hear Jesus' words this morning. Little girls, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Janet heard me speak about this and was moved by that message. And she wrote a song about it. And she's going to sing it for you this morning.
Thank you, Janet. You may be seated, unless you are a grade school boy or a high school boy. Why don't you all stand? All the grade school, high school age boys. All of you stand up right now. Okay. I want you guys to look at me and I want you to pay attention. Don't you ever, ever, ever make fun of a girl for the way she looks. Don't you ever tease her. Don't you ever call her fat or ugly, or any such things. And if you hear any other guy do that, you step to that girl's defense and tell him to shut up. You do not damage and wound a girl like that. You respect them, and you treat them with kindness. You may be seated. Now all the other men stand up. (laughs) You guys pay attention for a minute. I am struck and stunned as I've heard so many women in our church tell me that their husbands curse at them and derail them and, and ridicule them. You listen to me. As your pastor and before almighty God, I charge you, don't you ever refer to your wife as a B-I-T-C-H or a whore or any other words. Some of you guys like to yell at your wives. Don't you ever do that. She makes you mad, you just be a man. You suck it up, you shut up. If you need to walk away, you walk away. But you do not talk to women, especially your wives that way. I don't know what line... People are crossing in their heads today. That says it's okay to do that. Because most guys, when I confront them about that, I say, did your father talk to your mother that way? They'll say, no, she never did. So apparently we're getting this from movies or our present culture. I don't care where we're getting it from. It needs to stop. You treat that woman with respect. Men should be respecters of women, should be lovers of women, should be protectors of women. We should not be the terrorists that torment women. We protect them from that. You can sit down. 
I'm going to ask the ushers to come get ready to serve communion and our musicians to come back. We need to treat these girls with respect. Guys don't get this because words don't mean that much to a man. If you've noticed, try talking to us. (laughs) They just don't. We grow up saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. For most part, they really don't. And men, we insult each other. So what we do, we get a bunch of guys together and say, you're fat, you're ugly, yeah, you're stupid. Uh, doesn't mean that. We, we love, that's conversation to a man. But don't do that to women. And don't do that to the girls in your life. We have no right to claim that we love God if we cannot love those who are the closest to us. And that goes for both men and women in this struggle. Don't disrespect your husbands. Don't cause them to doubt himself. Believe in him. And you guys treat that girl with the kind of respect that she's awarded just by being your wife and the mother of your children. In an increasingly hostile world where men and women treat each other with such incredible contempt and bitterness... As Christians, let us demonstrate the kind of love that God has for us to each other. Let's be kind even when treated badly. Let us believe the best of others even when we can only see their worst. Let us truly love each other like Christ loved us. Who in spite of being fully aware of our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, our imperfections. He gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. When he died on the cross. This is what we celebrate now. When we take communion. Reflecting on his body that was broken. His blood that was shed. The ultimate sacrifice for us. The lamb of God. To take away the sins of the world. In spite of. The way we act. In spite of the sins that we've committed. In spite of our failures. And our shortcomings. He died to cover. To cleanse. And to heal. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. This morning, if you have never experienced that kind of love in your life and never experienced the love of God in your life, I'm going to pray a prayer with everyone here. And I'm going to encourage you to pray this along with us. If you're willing to turn away from the wrong that is in your life and put your faith in Christ, you can begin your life of faith this morning. I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross. And took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.